Andrew will be preaching from Ephesians this morning, as you can see from the bulletin. I'll read the passage that we can uh, be thinking about. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, help us to come to you as children this morning, your children, special and unique, but still your children. We long to put away distractions that would keep us from listening well. We pray for your work in our hearts to teach and apply your truth and wisdom that Andrew brings us this morning. We come with various circumstances or from various circumstances, to all, but all with the same need to apply your word as children. That is with confidence that you are continuously at work in loving us. In Christ we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as you have been observing, we're, we're talking about the second in the relationships of the household codes uh, that Paul talked about as an application of the idea of uh, living lives full of the Spirit, submitting to one another. Uh, so the first relationship was the relationship of husband and wife uh, that we talked about last week. Uh, the second relationship is the relationship of children and parents. We're going to talk about that the rest of the morning. And then next week we're, we're talking about in the workplace, the, the relationship between workers and bosses, uh, employers and employees. Having children and raising children is fill in the blank <laughs> exhausting uh, hard uh, a joy uh, amazing yeah all, all of those are incredible uh, or all of those are, are adequate adjectives um, I, I maybe just start this morning by acknowledging that it's hard it's hard to be a, a parent it's hard to be a child uh, Here's a couple of things just recently that I gleaned, various articles. How about fathers? Is it easy to be a father? Fathers are under pressure to be loving examples for their children, despite having their own deep issues with sin, such as anger. Um, fathers are under financial pressure. Rising cost of living continues to outplace inflation. Fathers are under pressure not to become like their own father, uh, although that is clearly happening, uh, not just in outward appearance. Uh, if you want to know, just ask the wives. Uh, on top of that, fathers are under the cross pressures to be both strong and vulnerable, to be confident yet humble, to be funny and serious, to be a successful provider, but always to be available at home. 
Mothers don't have it any easier, especially in our modern times. There are so many ways, whether it's through IG or Facebook or TikToking or wherever you're getting your uh, influencer sort of data, we, we realize or we think that uh, you can go back to the land and be the pioneer woman. You can have six children and still perfectly comply with body and beauty ideals. You don't need makeup to be beautiful or a gym to discipline your body. You can simply braid your hair and dance with your children and or husband. You can make all the money you need off of farming and the list goes on. Uh, we realize that these things are myths but yet we feel pressure to conform and, and want to be that mom who's got it all together. And what about kids? What about adolescence? Here's how one writer puts it. Adolescence is a hurricane, a tornado, an earthquake, and a forest fire coming at you all at once. It's no wonder that many teenagers experience anxiety, stress, despair, and loneliness. Modern times are different than ancient times, but the stresses that come around family are, are, are similar. Uh, just as we experience these kind of stresses that I've just laid out for you uh, today. So the, the ancient family uh, experienced stress as well. And Paul, wanting to, to play out, wanting to, uh, you know, to nuance his instruction of, of what it means to be imitators of God, what it means to discover what is pleasing to him. That was some of the language in, uh, earlier in chapter 5 where it says, discover what is right and true and good. Find out what is pleasing to God. Walk as children of the light because you used to be darkness, but now you are light. He says, let's just start with some of the most basic relationships that we have, husbands and wives, uh, parents and children. Now, this is, of course, speaking to nuclear families, but we also understand that uh, in talking about parents and children, uh, Paul is speaking kind of in the biblical sense of family where we are all brothers and sisters of one another because we belong to Christ. Uh, so some of the things that we're talking about here are not only applicable inside of, you know, our, our nuclear family, but they are also applicable more broadly with regards to authority, with regards to um, people that we are in church with. You know, I love Isaiah where it talks about the barren woman is given many children. Uh, and, and how does that happen? Well, it happens in this covenant community. We've just taken these vows where we've talked about caring for one another and supporting one another and all of these things. So at, at its broadest level, you know, these verses are applicable to us all, all the time in roles either as children or parents, whatever suits us. But Today we're going to focus a lot on that specific role or that specific relationship of, of the, the nuclear family, children and parents. All of us are children. Uh, if you entered into the world, you, you came as somebody's child. 
Uh, so you are somebody's child. They may be alive. They may not be. They may have passed on. I know that that is painful for some of us, particularly recently as we think about these relationships. Um, they may be a believer. They may not. Uh, and, and there's going to be some wisdom in some of the application uh, that we need with regards to some of these principles. But that's partially why Paul says earlier in chapter 5, he says, don't walk as unwise, but as wise, because we, we need to apply these in the correct way. But he does say some, some things that are, are pretty clear here and pretty revolutionary uh, with regards to the, the ancient family uh, in a similar way that, you know, Paul was very revolutionary in the way that he talked to wives and he invited women who, who typically did not have status in the first century into the conversation, uh, so he also does to children. So just real easy outline today, children's parents and the Lord. Uh, so very easy to follow. Let's start with children, and let me just keep pressing on how revolutionary Paul is. Paul speaks to children like he assumes that they are in the congregation. So remember, Ephesians was a circular letter uh, that was meant to be read out loud in the public gathering. Uh, they didn't all have their copies of the letter. This was how it was delivered. And so Paul, when he comes to what we call chapter 6, verse 1, when he comes to this part of the letter and he addresses the children, he is, one, assuming that they are there and listening, which is something for us to think about, just the nature of our worship services and, and how these things happen and all of the different things. So he assumes that they're there and they're listening. And secondly, he assumes that they are part of the family that needs to be working out what it means to be a beloved child of God. Uh, I, I love this uh, because I love our kids. And, and I love that our, our young people and our kids are part of our family. You are not an interruption. You are not a distraction. You are a part of the family of God. And I would go even further to say you are a, a necessary and instructive part of the family of God for me. I, I learn so much from kids watching you interact. Watching you care for one another is a reminder to me. So when we baptize Benjamin like we did today, we're not saying that someday he's going to be part of the family of God when he makes his profession of faith, all of those things. We're saying we recognize that he already is a part of this, we, we use that language, covenant community. You know, he is a part of this, and as such, he... He belongs to us. He, he belongs to one another. I, I love when we have young people that, that do make their profession of faith and, and just thinking about them as brothers and sisters uh, in God. They may be your little brother. They may be your little sister. But there is, there is a real, I think, appreciation that Paul has here for children as being part of the community. But he does go on then and say, and I'm talking to, to children today, so if you normally check out, 
try to try to stay focused a little bit. We're, we've got like three or four minutes to uh, to really focus. Uh, but uh, he says, because you are part of the community, you have responsibilities too. You, you can't just say religion is for adults. You know, following Jesus is for those who have made profession of faith or those who uh, have attained a certain amount of gray hair or something like that. You have to say, no, my responsibility is now. And, and he gives us a couple of things here, both one in action and one in attitude in terms of what does it mean to follow God, to, you know, live wisely. He says you need to obey and honor. Obey is the action, you know, as your parents give you good instruction. Now, I emphasize that, good instruction. You're not to obey everything that your parents tell you to do. Uh, If your parents tell you to do something that is ungodly, uh, if your parents tell you to do something that would be contrary to the will of God, you, you are not required to obey that because God is your, your overall Father and we always need to submit to Him. And I know that that does happen in some families, uh, that you know, if your parents are not godly or uh, maybe they get misguided in different ways, we, we need to be on guard for that, and, and your parents need you to be on guard for that. The second thing is an, an attitude, and that is to honor your parents. So an action, obey. An attitude, to honor, to respect. Uh, sometimes the word is actually translated reverence. Uh, so we don't reverence them like they are deities, like they're gods in and of themselves, but, but we do have a deep amount of respect for our parents. Now, this is something that is not only true for younger children within a nuclear family, a household, but this is every age of our life. Uh, and and it, it, it never completely gets, like, easy. Uh, I think, you know, if you are blessed to have good parents, uh, you know, there is an ease, it's a little easier with regards to this to honor your parents. But if you have difficult parents, a conversation with somebody just in between the services that was, you know, an older gentleman and he was just saying, I I was feeling it this morning. Like, how do I honor my elderly mother uh, in a particular situation that they were in? We, We can really feel that. But, but part of what God is, is saying is that this, these are the people who, who brought you into this world. These are the people that I have appointed for good or for ill, uh, for better or for worse. And, and it's your call to, to give them respect and to give them honor. Again, it's not always going to be easy. We're going to talk a little bit about how we do that later on. But that, that's the call. Obey, honor. And, and, and he even goes so far as to tell us why. Uh, he says that it's right in the Lord, right? Obey your parents for this is right. What does he mean by that? He means, well, it's, it's the natural order of things. You know, there, is, there are parents and there are children. Uh, there is meant to be respect. This is kind of the natural law application. Like, this is good for everybody everywhere. It would not be good to have a society where children ruled. Uh, it, it's not the way that it's supposed to be. So it's right 
It's the law of God, the revealed law of God. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that he says here. So this is the fifth command in God's Decalogue, uh, the Ten Commandments, that we are to honor our parents. So God not only created the world that way, but he's ordered the world uh, to continue for this. But then notice he also says, because it's for your good. There's a promise attached to it that your days may be long, that it will be well with you. He conflates Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 there, uh, that it would be well and that your days would be long. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you will live a long, long time if you honor your parents. We know, you know, in other parts of Scripture that there's pain, that there's suffering, that there's death that comes into the world, all of that. But what he's saying here is when we pay attention to how God has made us, how he's ordered his word through his word and through his law, that we will receive a blessing. And I believe that. You know, as a child, if you are here, you're, you know, 15 or younger, uh, you, you, you are in a position where you're really dependent on your parents. And the greater that you obey them and honor them, the easier your life will be. Uh, once we get a little bit older, especially maybe in that 15 to before we have kids range, you know, sometimes it's a real tumultuous time. Uh, and, and it seems like our parents are doing everything wrong. I, I love how uh, Mark Twain talks about that. He's like, um, how, how does he say it? When I was 14, uh, I couldn't believe how ignorant my parents were. Uh, when I became 21, I, I was shocked to see how much they had learned in, 20, in seven years. You know, the idea being that uh, you know, we, when we gain a heart of wisdom, we realize the wisdom that our parents have a little bit more. Uh, but always following, there is a blessing. And that's true when we're adults as well. Um, you know, sometimes we, we see, you know, we struggle with our older parents and, and maintaining that sense of honoring. God says, I will bless that. But what about the parents? There's several things to say about the parents. Um, notice that this passage overall is addressed, first of all, in 6.1 to parents. Uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Uh, so that is fathers and mothers, you know, this parental unit. Um, and, and they are, are both engaged in the rearing of their children, assumed to be engaged in the rearing of their children. They're both given the, the call to respect and, and obey and, and honor them. So both parents are in view. But then he says in 6.4, he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Uh, he, he pulls out a little bit. He says, within this parenting relationship, I want to have a word just for fathers. Now, why was that? Well, in the first century, you know, the father's rule in the household was absolute. Like, it was indisputable. Even to the very sense that they determined whether a child would live or die. In Roman culture, When you had a child, you would take it and lay it at the feet of the father, and the father would basically give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. You know, thumbs up, the child would live, would be cared for, would be part of the household, thumbs down, uh, the child would be exposed. 
and, and that means put out on the trash heaps uh, in order to die. Many of you know that's where the Christians made a name for themselves as they would go and they would rescue these children. But the father was an absolute ruler in his home. He could he could discipline however he wanted. He could do whatever he needed or wanted to do within the home. And part of that, Paul says, I want to honor the fact that you're the head of the household. This actually kind of fits with what we talked about last week in terms of husbands bearing a particular kind of accountability and responsibility for the home within this covenant framework that you know the bible talks about there is a covenant head and and the scriptures seem to equate that with the role of the father has nothing to do with equality. It doesn't mean that the, the husband is smarter or wiser or anything like that than the wife. But they bear a unique sense of answering for the family. And I think the fact that Paul calls out father specifically uh, is a nod to that. It may also be that fathers are most prone to either abdicate. You know, sometimes when we talk about the sin of Adam... It's the silence of Adam. The fact that he was there in the garden, an opportunity to say no to Eve when she was tempted and took the fruit, but he didn't. And he just allowed it to happen. And, uh, and, and that's a thing with fathers, isn't it? With men. I mean, oftentimes if, if we have the opportunity to abdicate, uh, we may. We, we may give that up. And part of what Paul is saying here is, no, you, you have a responsibility here. And it may be that with regards to the specific mention of prov provoking or exasperating, uh, that the fathers uh, are prone to that in a particular way as well. What does it mean to provoke? I don't know if this is helpful at all, and I'm going to go through it much faster than I did in the first service, uh, so um, be ready here. Uh, if you want to just write provoke, if you're a note taker, vertically in your, in your notes, I'm going to go through each letter and give you just some sense of what Paul is talking about here. Three different words, like different words are used in the translations. There's provoke, uh, exasperate. In Colossians, it's discourage or embitter. So you kind of get a range of meaning there, right? Fathers do not provoke, exasperate, discourage, or embitter your children. What does that mean? Provoke, P, uh, pronounce or perform harsh judgments. Uh, and, and, and deal out or mete out uh, harsh discipline. If you're, especially if you're angry, you know, and you, you bring this down on your kids, that, that is likely to discourage them away from the Lord. But contrast that with R, uh, do not refrain from wise discipline. Uh, our our Kids need and, in fact, long for boundaries in their life. And they need to know, you know, which way to, to be shaped and which way to go. So we need to avoid harsh discipline, but we, we can't refrain from wise discipline. Either one of those uh, will discourage or embitter our child. Oh, you cannot operate above the law yourself. 
You cannot have expectations for your children that you are not willing to have. You know, perhaps as a, a father or as parents, you have expert expectations about coming to church, but then you don't go to church, or about the type of language that we use, and then you use that type of language, or about listening to, uh, or about respecting authority, but then the conversation that you have around the dinner table does anything but respect the authorities that are placed above you, either bosses or ministers or uh, politicians. You know, these are the things. You can't operate above the law or you will discourage, embitter, exasperate your child. V, uh, I cheated a little bit here. Uh, you cannot avoid... Uh, your children. <laughs> uh, you cannot avoid them. And, and I say that, and that seems obvious, but how often haven't you been out in a restaurant uh, seeing a family together and parents on their phones paying absolutely no attention to their children? Uh, and that is just the tip of the iceberg. And a lot of times, it's, it's these cross pressures, right? We, we know that we have to work. You know, since the Industrial Revolution, work has been largely taken out of the home. And so, you know, oftentimes dads or moms, depending on who's ever doing the work, can leave very early, uh, come home very late, and you don't really even see your kids. Uh, so what does that mean? How do, that's going to be exasperating or embittering. How do we not avoid our children? How do we not avoid sort of their difficult emotions? You know, I really think about this, you know, depending on how you're wired, you may be more wired to connect with a, with a you know, deep sadness uh, than with something. You know, are you going to go there with your kid? You need to, because if you just tell them to stuff it and don't go there with them, you are going to provoke your children. Don't overlook, second O, don't overlook your child's uniquenesses. Um, I think about this it's because we, we have eight kids. Uh, I think many of you know that they're all very different. They have different interests. Um, I have coached many of them in, in various sports along the way, soccer, baseball, basketball, all of that. It was easy to spend time uh, with those kids. But what about the kid that doesn't like sports? You know, how, how am I going to connect with him or how am I going to connect with her? Uh, finding those ways to connect. You know, do you have favorites? We, we say, you know, well, we don't have favorites. We love them all the same. And that's true. But there are certain ones that take less work to connect with than other, other uh, ones do. Don't overlook the uniquenesses of your kids and and connect with them in, in very real ways. K, uh, watch keeping record of wrongs. You know, if you keep a record of wrongs and, and your kid did something two months ago and you're bringing it up again, you did it two years ago, you never obey, you know, this kind of thing. This, this is the kind of thing that will provoke your children. Um, e, 
You know, expect your child to be able to grow and to contribute. It's interesting, the University of Michigan, uh, the Mott Children's Hospital, has a program called Let Them Grow, uh, where they actually bring this into school and have uh, the, the children have to do something positive that their parents haven't told them to do. Like that's their assignment, kids between 5 and 11. Because they're finding that, that parents hover over their kids. Parents protect, guard. You know, it's not helicopter parenting, it's snowplow parenting. It's just get out of the way. I'm going to define everything. I think about this even with sports. You know, we grew up playing. We never had refs or anything. I watch kids today play in a gym. There's always a ref. It's always controlled, always these different things. You know, can we allow our kids to grow? Can we expect from them that they are going to take the place? So just some thoughts on what provokes, you know, how do we live in a way that doesn't provoke our kids? Ultimately, this is, of course, in the Lord. You know, Paul is saying this all along for parents, you know, teach them obedience in the Lord. You know, instruct and discipline them in the Lord. So this is all under the guidance of saying, you know, Johnny, Susie, I love the Lord. I want you to love the Lord. Let's go to his word. And so you're going to have to find times where you have, you know, family devotions. I don't know if it needs to be in the morning or if it needs to be at the evening, or if it needs to be following a dinner. The, the Bible doesn't give us that kind of specificity, but they need instruction from you. They need for you to share your heart. They need for you to model the gospel. That means when you mess up, you're repenting to them. When's the last time, parents, that you have asked forgiveness from your kid? That's part of this discipling and instruction that we are called to do. It's not only opening the Word, memorizing Scripture, all of the different things we heard about the Psalms during Sunday school. It's not only that, but it's also modeling what it means to be a child of God ourselves. And that's really where I want to end this, because it is this, this parenting in the Lord. How do we do this? Two things for you. One is this entire section from, from chapter, really from chapter 4, really the whole book of Ephesians, uh, is about what God has done. You know, as he looked down from before the foundations of the world, he set his love on us, he adopted us to be children of his. And then Paul picks it up, you know, as beloved children, imitate God. He, he wants us to know that what he has called us to do as parents and children, is everybody listening? You know, what he has called us to do as parents and children, he has equipped us to do. You know, when he says, in the Lord, that's not just words. It's saying you're doing it in the Lord. You are wrapped up. You are equipped. You are given the armor of God. He's going to talk about us, talk about that in the end of chapter 6. And sometimes we get that and we pluck chapter 6, the armor of God section, away from the household code. And we think, well, the armor of God is for these times when we're involved in cosmic struggles uh, between the forces of light and the forces of darkness. 
And uh, this is going to be like, you know, Pilgrim's Progress and Apollyon is there. And I am going to call down in the armor of God all of these things. And the answer to that is yes. But the context is your home. And what Paul is saying here is you are engaged in this struggle, and in all circumstances, in your, your marriage relationship, in your home, in your pastoring, in your being a child, in your submitting to authority, you know, as your professors and all of these different things, put on the armor of God. He's given it to us. <coughs> it's one of the things when we come to the the table, we, we take the bread and we, we take the cup and we remember that just as surely as we eat this bread and drink this cup, so surely has God promised to be with us. So you don't have to conjure like your obedience out of the air and just figure it out yourself. God is giving you the very strength that he's asking you to, uh, to, to walk with. But it goes one step further than that. Because I know, you know, I, I come to the end of these things. I've been studying this all week and, and just have I've had my own failures. I have eight kids, so that means I have eight times as many opportunities to fail uh, in, in parenting. Um, and and we, we are so, we're so weak when we come to this. I'm like, how can I do this as a father? How can I do this as a mother? How can I be a child? I am messing up all the time. In fact, if I know Sunday mornings, maybe it was a little bit better because you had the extra hour. Some of you failed this morning as a parent or a child. Can I get an amen? Okay, don't say that. Uh, uh, (laughs) But I, I know that that's how it goes. But here is the good news. We do this in the Lord. And in the Lord, we have a perfect son and a perfect father. All that we cannot do and that we feel weak in doing, God has done. The perfect father, the the one who knew righteousness and justice and called forth his son to walk a path where justice and mercy could meet and kiss. The the perfect father and the perfect son who says, "I, I must, it is necessary that I be about the will of my heavenly father. And he took it all the way to the cross. And, and you notice, you know, when beginning, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, his words on the cross. And then at the end, he says, you know, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But right in the middle, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he knew what it was like to lose that relationship with his Father in order that we might have it. And this is why what Paul says to us is so important. He says, brothers and sisters, be imitators of God as a child, as beloved children. You know, John says, behold, what manner of love? Behold, look, see, gaze, rest upon it. Behold, let it fill you with awe. What manner of love has the Father given to us 
that he's lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, for that is what we are. So here is the release and the rest from all that pushes you down. You are a beloved child. And as a beloved child, you can go out and you can be a father. You can be a mother. You can be a child. You can be all of those things knowing that Jesus has done the work, that the Father has given His Son. And we, that's really what we're trying to show to the world. You know, in our imperfect parenting relationships, just in the same way as our imperfect marriage relationships, we're giving a portrait, this eschatological vision to the world. Same thing with our parenting. We're, we're showing, said, this is what it means to be a child, to be a father, to be a mother. It's the beloved children of God. Benjamin West was an artist, 1763-ish. He was appointed to become the royal artist for the, for the crown. And um, he was talking about his journey as an artist and how it is that he ended up there. And uh, he said, well, you know, one time my mom went away and she appointed me to watch over my sister Sally. I wasn't sure what to do, so we got out the paints and I started to paint my sister Sally. Uh, the only problem is that wasn't the only thing that got painted that day. The couches and the walls and several other things got painted that day. And when his mother came home, she took it all in and he could see, you know, the consternation, the, the temperature that was rising in his mother. But then his mother saw the picture and she went over to it and she said, oh, Benjamin, it's Sally. And she gave him a hug and she gave him a kiss. And he said, it was that kiss that made me an artist. It was that kiss that sealed to me who I was. We saw the kiss this morning in baptism, a sign and a seal. We come to the table, a sign and a seal, in which God's kiss comes to us and says, you are my beloved son and daughter. Now go be who you are. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for how it comes to us. It is challenging. We acknowledge it. Uh, it is instructive. We need it. Teach us your ways, but teach us your heart as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.